It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. As John already introduced, I am from Hutchinson, Kansas, and I get to claim Rosine as being from our church, so that's my claim to fame here. My name is Brian Shank, and I'm here with my family. And in Kansas, I'm on the pastoral team at our local church, and during the week, I do structural engineering to try to keep buildings from falling down onto us. I'm also dad to two beautiful girls. Aaliyah is six and Kiana is two. And I'm husband to my beautiful wife, Cynthia, who is here with me as well. Cynthia is the chief domestic engineer of our home and also master chef, an aspiring herbalist and a natural gardener a gracious hostess, and a nurturing mother to her girls. She makes our home a place that you want to be. But now we get to be on vacation for six weeks in the beautiful Ozarks. We're over at Calvary Bible School where I'm teaching two classes. This is my second year teaching there. And I'm teaching the book of Hebrews where we're studying Jesus, our high priest, and how he fulfills the Old Testament things that point forward to their fulfillment in Christ. And the second class is called Christian Stewardship. So we're studying there about Jesus' teachings about our money and our possessions, our lives. And we're studying there how God is the owner of everything and how we are stewards that are entrusted with what he's given us. And the third thing that we look at there is our accountability to God for how we steward what he's given us. So in that class, we wrestle with the question, does God actually care what I do? Does he care how I live? I heard a yes, he does. That's the question I'd like to consider this morning. And it might feel like a pretty obvious question with an obvious answer. Yes, he does. But I've been thinking about this question recently because I think sometimes we have some confusion or tension between our heart beliefs and our stated beliefs or articulated beliefs. And I'm... I don't know what all faith traditions are represented here this morning. I'm speaking from the perspective of my faith tradition. I grew up as a conservative Anabaptist, and there are others of of you here who grew up in the same faith tradition. And as Anabaptists, we have always firmly held that our beliefs influence how we live, that what I believe affects what I do. But I think sometimes we have a bit of a tension that we're not sure how to deal with. We know deep in our hearts that we are saved by grace through faith. And we'll defend that, we'll say it, and we believe it. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And yet, we also know that it does matter how we live. And sometimes we're not sure how to put those two together. If what I do can't save me, and yet God cares how I live, 
How do I deal with that tension? Sometimes we feel like good works feels like a kind of a dirty word. We are afraid that if we get too close, we'll turn into legalists that are trying to earn favor with God. Sometimes we'll even hear someone quoting Isaiah to remind us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So there's nothing good that we can do to earn favor with God. But we don't quite dare get too far away from that because we know it's important. And so we sit in our muddle, not quite sure how to talk about it or how to think about it. And perhaps even more alarming to an Anabaptist, we're not always sure what the answer is to the question, does God care what I do? If I'm saved by grace, what difference does it make? And I think sometimes that muddle can be accentuated even more by some misconceptions about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. So I found it interesting that Brother John mentioned that just a few minutes ago. The Old Testament perception of holiness versus the New Testament. It might go something like this. Sometimes we feel like the, in the Old Testament, holiness was all about obedience to the law doing the works of the law. And it was outward works, and it didn't really matter where your heart was as long as you did what the law said. And sometimes our perception of the New Testament then would be that it's all about faith and love, and it's all about what's in my heart, and maybe the heart is all that matters. But I wonder sometimes... (laughs) if we're underestimating how much God cared about the heart in the Old Testament. And similarly, I wonder if we underestimate how much he cares about our obedience in the New Testament. I suggest to us, no, I say firmly, that obedience is not legalism. To be clear, Scripture teaches that we are saved by grace through faith and that works cannot save us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we are not saved by works. But the next verse is equally clear. Chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God had designed for us to walk in. So I have a little illustration that might help us think about what this looks like. Who would like to guess what might be in this jar? Or what does it make you think of? I have a stick and some leaves 
What? Can't see. All right. I have a stick and some leaves. Has anyone ever, and I've got a tissue on top so air can get in. A caterpillar. Unfortunately, I don't have a caterpillar, but that's exactly what you're supposed to think of. I couldn't find a caterpillar. But when I was growing up, we would do this. We would take a stick and put some leaves inside and put a caterpillar in there. Yup. Now, what does a caterpillar do? It makes a cocoon. Before it makes a cocoon, it crawls around and it eats. It crawls and eats and crawls and eats. And then it makes a cocoon. <clears throat> Why does it make a cocoon? To become a butterfly. That's right. He makes a cocoon and he ravels up in there in a mysterious way, and the caterpillar essentially dies. He's never a caterpillar again. And when he emerges, he's something completely different. Now, imagine if our little caterpillar decided, I don't like that cocoon idea. I think I'll just become a butterfly by flying. Would our, would our caterpillar become a butterfly? No, he'd become a butter splat. <laughs> you see, a, a caterpillar can't become a butterfly by flying. He can only become a butterfly by dying. He has to go into the cocoon and die. Only God can make a butterfly. And I brought a picture of a butterfly for us this morning. <clears throat> Aren't butterflies beautiful? I love watching a butterfly fly, just like it's created to do. So butterflies fly, they flutter around, they make it look easy. But now imagine if our butterfly said, well, flying doesn't make me a butterfly. And so he crawled around and ate like he did when he was a caterpillar. Crawling and eating. No, Mr. Butterfly, flying doesn't make you a butterfly. But being a butterfly makes you fly. It's in your nature. It's what you were created to do. It's how God designed you. And when you fly, Mr. Butterfly, you bring great glory to God, and you bring joy and delight to everyone around you. So we're a little bit like this caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. We can't turn into a butterfly by flying. Only God can do that. But once we're a butterfly, it's in our nature to fly. A butterfly who refuses to fly isn't a butterfly either. He's a butter crawl. Ephesians 2, earlier in the chapter, says... You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we were dead, like the caterpillar, 
in its cocoon, and God made us alive, and he made us alive for good works in Jesus. I think God has always been in the business of making dead things come alive. And I believe it has always been his heart that his saints would serve him both out of a heart of love for him and in obedience to him. Love and obedience are closely connected, never one without the other. So to look at this, I'd like to compare some Old Testament and New Testament verses and see how love and obedience are closely paired. We'll look first at a sample of verses from Deuteronomy. And I would like to ask five young men up here to help me out with these verses. So I'll give you the references and you can turn to them. So we'll take the first three on the first row and then the next two on the next row. Um, So you can turn to Deuteronomy. First one here, Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 through 10. And then second, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Third, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And then the fourth one is Deuteronomy chapter 11. You have three verses, verse 1, 13, and 22. 1, 13, and 22. And then the fifth one, Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. So in a bit, I'll have you all read your verses. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell speech. The children of Israel have come through the desert. They're about to go into the land and take possession of it. But Moses doesn't get to go along. And so he's giving his farewell speech. He's rehearsing for Israel everything that they've experienced. And he's giving them final warnings. These are the most important words. These are the final instructions. And so notice in these verses from Deuteronomy how love and keeping the commandments are always paired. Shall we use a mic or what works best in here? You want to stand and read? Sounds good. Why don't you pass the mic around? Stand and turn and face and then read, read the passage you were given. Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Deuteronomy 
11, verse 1. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Verse 13. And it, should be, and it shall be that if ye earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then verse 22. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. Deuteronomy thirty fifteen. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Um, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his way, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Thank you for those readings. I'm sure you heard it. Each time, keeping God's commandments and loving him are closely paired. And we see that throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And at the end of the book, where Moses is warning Israel of the curses that will fall on them if they disobey, in chapter 28, it says that these curses will come because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. So God's intent for his people was that they would serve with joyfulness and gladness of heart. He wanted relationship with his people, and he wanted them to express their love for him through their obedience. Love and obedience are closely connected. So let's flip now to the New Testament and see whether we find the same pairing. Does the grace of Jesus set me free to love God without obeying the commandments? Is salvation just a matter of the heart or do we still find the same pairing? You can turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 We're going to begin at verse 15 in a bit. Now the setting of John 14 is that it is also a farewell speech. It is at the Last Supper. Jesus has walked with his disciples for three years. He's been teaching them, and now he's about to leave them. And the disciples are disturbed. They're they're bewildered. They've thrown in their lot with Jesus. They've sacrificed everything for him. And now he's leaving. And they're full of fear. And so Jesus gives them words of comfort and peace and promises and words of instruction. These are his final words, his most important instructions. As we read, notice again the pairing of love and keeping Jesus' commandments. It reads very similarly to the verses from Deuteronomy. I'll read verses 15 through 31, the end of the chapter. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will not see me. Sorry, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I think I'll actually pause there for now. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We see in this passage the same thing we saw in Deuteronomy, that love and obedience are clearly paired. Three times Jesus repeated, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 15, verse 21, and verse 23. And then, lest there's any doubt, he turns around and gives the negative. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In verse 24. I see no room in Jesus' words for someone who loves Jesus but doesn't obey his commandments. That condition simply doesn't exist. Either we love him and obey his commandments, or we don't love Jesus. As I've said, there's a striking similarity between Deuteronomy and John 14. But there's also something different, something new. What do we see buried between the verses about love and obedience? This passage is full of cause and effect. The cause is, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. But there, is all, there are also more effects that follow. As we love and keep God's commandments, then there are further effects. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will send you Whom will a father send? Another comforter, the Holy Spirit. So we have something new here, something they didn't have in Deuteronomy. We have the Holy Spirit that Jesus is promising to send. Yes, we are called to love and to obey, but we have the Holy Spirit to empower and to guide us in that obedience. And it just keeps getting better. In verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me 
will be loved by my Father, and I, Jesus, will love him, and I will manifest myself to him, or show myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, has a question. He says, why are you going to show yourself to us, but not to the world? Does Jesus answer his question? Why will you show yourself to us, but not to the world? Well, Jesus answers it in a kind of a roundabout way, but a really powerful way, by restating and repeating his mantra. He says in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then he follows with more promises. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But, then he states the negative, and he leaves it hanging. And again, there is a powerful implication. In verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the obvious implication is that Jesus and the Father will not come to him and make their home with him. These are conditional promises. We're promised the Holy Spirit. We're promised the presence and the love of Jesus and the Father. The Trinity will all be showing themselves to us if we love God and keep his commandments. Now I wrestled a little bit with how to state this relationship between our love and our obedience. We could say that our love for Christ results in obedience to his commands. Or we could say that our love for Christ is demonstrated in our obedience to his commands. And either of those are, I think, true as far as they go. But perhaps they insinuate that that love and obedience are separable entities, that you could have one without the other. I don't find in Deuteronomy or John that there's any hint that they're separable, but that they're one, that they're synonymous. So maybe we should say, we love God by keeping his commandments. This is how we love Christ. We love him by keeping his commandments. And then we have Jesus' own example down in verse 31 that I haven't read yet at the end of the chapter. Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me. Jesus bowed in submission to the Father's commandments. He never called his disciples to do something that he hadn't already led the way. He called them to obey his commandments. Well, he had already bowed to the Father's commandments, even to the point of giving his life on the cross. And why? Why did he obey the Father's commandments? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Our love is demonstrated through our obedience to God's commandments. Growing up, I struggled with living under something of a performance mentality. 
I struggled with a feeling that I needed to be good enough for God to love me. And if I didn't do well enough, then I struggled with a feeling that I was out of favor with God. But by God's grace and with the help of some wise Christian counselors, I began to have my heart opened to receive God's grace and understand his love for me and that I can't earn his love for me, but it's there. And it was tremendously freeing to begin to experience that and and experience the freedom of knowing that Christ loves me no matter what. But there's an opposite ditch, a temptation then to live licentiously, to live as if the little things don't matter. After all, God wouldn't judge me for this. And so I revel in my freedom in Christ and perhaps don't take seriously enough the little things. The little choices do matter. God is noticing and recording our little choices that we make every day. And scripture shows that our little choices will be brought to the light for our eternal loss or our eternal joy. God does care a great deal about how I live. He's paying attention. In our stewardship class, we study the writing of a man named Randy Alcorn, who writes about our stewardship and how God is, um, has entrusted this to us and how we will give account for it. And when he's writing about the topic of tithing, he notes the irony of New Testament Christians who feel that they've been freed from the restrictions of tithing under the law. And they like to say that they are freed to grace giving. But Randy Alcorn notes with wry irony that the Old Testament tithe was 10%. Or actually there were several tithes, and so if you add them up, they totaled much significantly more than that. But We'll start with 10%. That's what a tithe is. He notes that the average American Christian gives 2.5%. He says, is not something terribly wrong if the law is four times more effective in motivating giving than what grace is? If we say that we are under grace and not under the law, then our giving and the rest of our lives should be even more abundantly righteous. So in our obedience to Christ's commands, yes, we have grace. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But why do we think that that frees us from obeying his commands? Rather, that empowers us to live godly in Christ Jesus. We are new creatures in Christ. We were created for good works. In closing... I'd like to take us to the end of the story, to Revelation, where we see a few verses that give us a picture of the eternal implications of our obedience to Christ. In Revelation 14:13, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The deeds are their righteous works, and they follow us into heaven. Works is not a dirty word. Our works follow us into heaven. They have an eternal impact. Also in chapter 19 of the Revelation, verses 6 through 8, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. No filthy rags here. No legalism here. These are not extra or a duty or something that we do to earn favor with God. In heaven, the bride of Christ will be adorned with her righteous deeds that she did for Christ. Deeds done in love for Christ. Deeds done empowered by the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. These shine throughout eternity. Praise God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We were created for good works. It is in the nature of a butterfly to fly. So for the sake of God's eternal glory and our eternal joy, let's fly. <laughs>